One hour of all me, baby, right here on ESPN LA 710, the home of world football and the home of Soccer Weekly. I am Dave Denholm. There will be no a couple of you know players jumping in. There will be no takeovers this week. It's all me talking our favorite sport here. And if you, even if you don't love soccer, you're going to love the next hour of great radio, I promise, as we jump right in. Look, here's the bottom line. I am not talking about MLS's All-Star Game. So if you were worried about that, maybe you DVR'd it and you are a big fan of All-Star Games and you didn't want it, don't worry about it. That I'm The reason I'm doing that is, no, I didn't watch it, but I'm not talking about it now, not because, oh, I don't want to hear about it. You know, I'm, I want to wait and watch it when I get a chance because I just haven't been able to watch it yet. I got a DVR. I do have a DVR and I will eventually get to it. But I'm. this is a mild protest against all all-star games, not just MLS. This has nothing to you know do negatively against Major League Soccer. I'm just not a big fan of all all-star games. I haven't really watched much of any of them in the last handful of years. Probably more of MLS than any of them, really. Maybe a little NHL. I've taken a peek at the NHL all-star festivities. Maybe a little more than the other sports. Haven't watched an NBA all-star game in years. Major League Baseball, I didn't see a pitch of it. You know, and I'm not I'm not bragging about this. If you do like it and you enjoy All Star Games and all the festivities, that's fine. I get it. I got no beef with that. This is not like, oh, what are you doing with your lives? I'm going to mock you for no good reason just because I hate something. No, I don't hate them. I just I can't be bothered anymore. They're fine. You just hope nobody, you know, gets hurt. So I haven't even seen anything about it. Don't even bother tweeting me about it or at Talk Soccer. I won't respond just so people, you know, again, it's on my DVR. I'll take a peek later. Whatever. But if this, this show is not about that. This show is about moving forward, both with Major League Soccer and with LAFC and with a whole lot of news coming out of U.S. Soccer. Right? And even the Major League uh, Soccer's Players Association. A lot going on. The U.S. women's national team, of course, a massive story over the summer, winning their second straight World Cup. Jill Ellis will not be back after the victory tour. The U.S. women's national team manager is uh, saying goodbye after a, yeah, to say the least, a very successful run. Winning a couple of cups will do that for your reputation. But Jill Ellis will not be back, so the search is on. For another uh, a new women's uh, national team coach, we'll keep an eye on that over the I'm sure the next months. But there is more news out of that as Carlos Cordero, the president of U.S. Soccer, uh, where I picked it up was uh, on Twitter, but then it, it you know linked to another uh, an open letter essentially. I don't even know if it's an open letter. What I don't what does that mean? Everybody always talks about open letters. I know public letters, but he did put out a link to essentially addressing the pay disparity or what people think is the pay disparity. And he started with a letter, then he had a fact sheet on it. And it's an interesting read. Go to his Twitter and check it out. At CAC Soccer. At CAC Soccer. And I think it's worth a read. It's a longer letter, and then it, it's a bunch of facts, what he you know, and U.S. Soccer are purporting to be the real numbers and I guess the gist of it is, or at least the highlighted, as you probably have heard, is that according 
to U.S. soccer from 2010 through last year, 2018, U.S. soccer actually paid women more than men. The players, $34.1 million went out to the women in salaries and bonuses, and the men got $26.4 million. And they even say that there's a, you know some things that are benefits for women that the men don't get. They get a guaranteed salary starting at a certain number. Then they get paid a minimum if it, with NWSL money. So, and even if even if they claim, according to their breakdown and their study financially, U.S. Soccer says even if you were to do a hypothetical per game assessment in comparison, the U.S. women still make more than the men. Now, the U.S. men actually came out in support of the women and disagreed with a lot of this. So it's just been a lot of back and forth. They, uh, the U.S. NSTPA, United States National Soccer Team Players Association, on the men's side stood firm and said that they are, you know, backing the women, that, you know, they talk about the claim that the U.S. women's national team lost $27 million over the last 11 years, which is in the Cordero letter. But they also say it's based on false accounting, or they they claim U.S. soccer admits that. So it's all a back and forth. But fascinating stuff. Well worth your time to kind of dig into that, as that issue is not going to go anywhere, and rightfully so. Look, I'll restate what I've said. When it comes to playing for your national team, I think it has to go beyond just strictly capitalism, right, and completely market-based. Yes, the men's World Cup drags in a lot more money, of course. More teams, more games, way more money is dragged in, no doubt. It's more popular, bottom line. But the women's game is growing. News on that coming up in just a second. <laughs> Little tease there. And you just have to look at it from a different perspective. If you're representing your flag and your country, well, you're representing your country, then there has to be I think more give and take in terms of more equality. Now, Cordero does bring up a good point. The president says that these deals between the women's players and the men's players, they're entirely structured differently. So it's not an apples-to-apples kind of thing, necessarily. Again, the, the women get a guaranteed salary. The men do not. They only get paid if they're called up and they play, or if they go to a camp. So, you know, and, and things like that, where different factors maybe equating to different dollars and maybe they need to work on that maybe that's an issue that can be rectified but most importantly i do believe if you're playing for your country the pay should be just as equal as you know as is humanly possible financially right i mean you can't spend money that's not there but you get the point not everything should be strictly market-based and about capitalism and how much you bring in and therefore how much you should get which is perfectly fine. I believe in that system. Don't get me wrong. And you can't pay Team X the same as Team Y if Team Y's revenues are millions and millions more, maybe billions. You can't always look at it that way, though, when it comes... If we're talking about a professional league, fine. Yes, it should be market-driven. Completely, in my estimation. But not for national team play, because you are representing your country. That means something different. And yes, that's how I look at it. I'm much more passionate about it from that perspective. So read the letter from Cordero at CAC Soccer. Then there's a lot of follow-ups that have been in the news, as I mentioned. One bit of news out of FIFA, and that came earlier in the day, 
the next Women's World Cup, the FIFA Council unanimously voted to expand it. They're going up to 32 teams for the Women's World Cup in 2023. That's awesome. Fantastic. Uh, you know, some people have pointed out, including Grant Wall, the great writer, the soccer writer from SI, among others, and does work at Fox as well. He pointed out, amongst others, look, you might see some more blowouts in the in the short term. That's fine. Yes, you may get a few more nine nils or eight nils because teams are trying to catch up. Nations are trying to catch up. But this is a good way for them to catch up. That only lasts so long. Nations will improve with a bigger exposure in better tournaments against better competition. I believe that as well. This is a good move. And 32 is the perfect number, is it not? For this kind of tournament where you have group stages, where you want a few more games, then you go into the knockout stage, great number to have half of them move on, perfect 16 into the knockout stage. It just works so well. The fact that the Women's World Cup is going to be 32 and the men's are going to be likely 48 or more, ugh, ugh, dreadful. I'm so scared of what FIFA is going to do with that 48-team World Cup format, potentially, in the future. Oh, 32. Yes, it might make it a little trickier for some nations to qualify. So what? World Cup qualifying is massive, and it's hugely important, and it should stay that way for all nations. That's fine. So if you miss out occasionally, like the Netherlands, like Italy, like the United States, okay, it happens. On a grand scale, on a world scale, that's fine. That should happen from time to time. That means it's actually a good system. You don't want it too easy for teams to qualify and never be threatened, realistically, for certain nations. That's no good. So this is a good move for the women's game. I hope the men's game continues along that path. 32 for both. Perfect. Utterly perfect. Hey, you want to hit me up on Twitter? It's at Talk Soccer. Again, I'm not dealing with the MLS All-Stars. I haven't even seen anything about it. I'm turning a blind eye to it. Not because I hate it. I'm not a huge fan of any All-Star games anymore in any sports. I'll take a peek at it later. It's on my DVR. Maybe after the show. I don't know. Maybe tomorrow. But again, I'm more concerned about where MLS teams are headed in the second half of the season, although we're well past the second half of the schedule. It's much like Major League Baseball in that respect. So much more to get to. Black and gold breakdown still to come. We do have MLS team assessments as we look towards that second half of the schedule for everyone, plus stoppage time. I am Dave Dunholm. You are listening to the home of world football here in Southern California, ESPN LA 710. It is Soccer Weekly, the home of LAFC, the black and gold Coming up on Saturday, August 3rd, taking on New England Revolution in New England. You'll hear that game right here in the home of the black and gold, ESPN LA. Man, talk about a hot club. Bruce Arena doing Bruce Arena things in MLS. As we get ready to start what is officially the second half of the schedule, though everybody's well and truly deep into their schedules. Most teams have about 10 or 11 games left. Out of the 34, there's a few that still have several games in hand, not the least of which New York City FC. They actually have played the fewest games so far with just 20. Portland Timbers on 21. LAFC, of course, have played 22 games. They have the Revolution coming up on the road, as I said, on Saturday. The Revolution are, to say the least, hot. 7-0-4 in their last 11 MLS games. 11 unbeaten. 
Yeah, uh, Bruce Arena knows what he's doing in Major League Soccer. There can be no question of that. They've climbed into the seventh spot in the Eastern Conference with the signing of Gustavo Bo being a big part of that. Coming over from Liga Amakis, Cholos, wow. Carlos Hill is playing very well. Yeah, New England's going to be a tricky one there for the black and gold. Speaking of the black and gold, I think it's time to get uh, deeper and deeper into what looks to be the second half of the schedule here on Black and Gold Breakdown. One, two, three, breakdown! It's the Black and Gold Breakdown. Breakdown. Break it down like this! Right now. Black and Gold Breakdown here on ESPN LA. And I want to look at the schedule that is remaining for LAFC. We know the kind of season they've had so far. Now that the All-Star Game's done, moving on to that the, the second half of the season. Again, LAFC have officially already played 22 games, so they only have 12 left. So we're already deep into the second half of the schedule. But at 15-3-4, and four, the superlatives we've been saying all year, I mean, they've been magnificent. Unbeaten at home, 9-0-1. Great on the road at 6-3-3. and 49 points to 38 for Seattle. L.A. Galaxy San Jose sitting on 37 each. Tied for uh, that uh, point total. Galaxy and San Jose, the three and four spots. Minnesota United, 35. I mean, LAFC has been phenomenal. Eastern Conference leader Philadelphia, for instance, is on 39 points. So LAFC have been dynamic. What do the final 12 games look like? Well, they are. it is an interesting schedule, to say the least. And it does start with this tricky matchup, as I mentioned on Saturday. Going all the way across country after all these all-star festivities with you know everybody involved who was involved here for the black and gold. So it's not going to be easy to kind of pick back up. And that begins at New England, and then you come back home for a Sunday matchup on August 11th against the Red Bulls. Then you're right back at RSL, tough place to play, Rio Tinto Stadium. And then you got like a, kind of a, a tricky little Wednesday-Sunday to follow up from that uh, August 17th match against RSL. With a Wednesday matchup against San Jose, maybe the best team in terms of playing right now besides LAFC. And then the dreaded Sunday against the LA Galaxy, the team you haven't beaten yet. Although that one's going to be at home on August 25th. September, we'll get to that in a moment. But So this is a nice, another interesting month. Loaded schedule here with five big games. Three of them coming in a matter of nine days over the later part of August. So, yeah, you know, and here's the thing that I'm noticing, if I'm being honest, about LAFC. We talked about it a lot early in the year. Now, they had a big win against Atlanta, got up 4-1 after trailing 1-0, and then held on as Atlanta United came back. It was a good win at home to go to 9-0-1 at home. What I am noticing about LAFC that I noticed earlier in the year, now it's slightly, not reversing, but it's coming back to the norm is that LAFC used to wear teams out earlier in the season with that high pressure, not even high pressure, just pressuring the football, especially all throughout the midfield, whether in the defensive half or in the offensive half. The midfield was theirs. And teams died by about the 60th minute. I'm not talking 85th minute they run out of gas. They were ha- Some teams we saw taking on LAFC early in the year they were leg-weary in the 35th minute. And that is no exaggeration based on how AFC was playing. The problem becomes you're going to get tired as well. And if you look at LAFC, there's been some great things that also lead you to kind of say, hey, there is a, a reverse effect sometimes. 
excellent consistency in the lineup, especially in the midfield. And the guys have been playing fantastic, right? All-star Mark Anthony Kay, Latif Blessing, who should have been an all-star, and Eduardo Atuesta, who could be an MVP candidate were it not for Carlos Vela. And Atuesta didn't get to be an all-star, which is a ridiculous joke. But those three have been utterly brilliant throughout the year. Well, they're playing a lot of minutes. And they're playing a lot of hard minutes. And maybe that starts to catch up with you, too, right? You're, you're wearing out your opponents week in and week out. Well, that could eventually catch up to you a bit. So that's a bit of a concern. Again, every team's going to be tired at this point. I get that. But I, I do believe you're going to have to start seeing maybe a few more minutes from Lee Wynn, even in starting roles now and again. Start getting these guys a little bit of a breather. Now, Bob Bradley knows he, first and foremost, you're going after the supporter shield. So there will be no massive changes, I do not believe, until that is essentially secured, if not absolutely secured. Right? That would only make sense. So you're not going to have to tinker with the lineup too much. But going into the postseason, I know they're potentially going to have a lot of time off once the postseason starts because of the number one seed. That's a whole different animal. But if you do grab that number one going into it, you'd like to have clinched it for a while and really get everybody healthy. I understand sharpness can be a factor sometimes when you do that, but take your chances with complete health. That's a key. I really believe that for LAFC going forward in the second half of the season. Speaking of the schedule, a little bit more, a little closer, Sunday, the uh, Sunday, September 1st, begins the September games at home against Minnesota United. Then you're at Orlando the next weekend, at Philadelphia. So those are two long trips. Right on the 7th and the 14th. Then you're back home on the 21st, 25th, and then on the road on the 29th. So it's another rough stretch of three games in nine days. Very similar to the one you had in August. But that's against TFC, Houston, and then Minnesota United. Tricky. Then you finish up the season against a team you were beat by. At the bank, Colorado comes into town on the 6th, where everybody finishes on that Sunday. So that'll be a little revenge. That might be a nice way to end it. Hopefully, you've already clinched the supporter shield by then. People are talking about, can they break records? You know, what's the record? I think it's, what, 72 points for a team? Oh, they only need 24 to break that. They need eight wins in 12 matches or some kind of combination. Seven wins, three draws. You get the math. Here's the thing. I don't even care about that anymore. I was, I was, you know, focused on that in a lot of ways. Oh, can they break that record? Maybe. They got a really good shot. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they do. They might even blow by that. But I don't care. Get the Supporters' Shield. I don't care if it's the lowest total in the history of the Supporters' Shield race. Just get it. Get your spot in CONCACAF's Champions League and be the number one seed in the Western Conference in the playoffs. That's it. Now, if you break a record along the way, so be it. Awesome. Maybe if you're close towards the end, you want to even take a shot at it if you know you're going to have that nice layoff in terms of rest going into the playoffs with that bye Okay, take a shot at a record, maybe. Yeah, that's fun. That's good for fans. It's good for posterity. Nothing wrong with that, sometimes in sports. But that is not my goal. That's not That's not the focus in and of itself, breaking records. Yeah, you want to have the most points. Of course you want to win the final 12 games. I get it. 
but that is not in and of itself to me that go that goal is shrinking ever quickly i'm not worried about that hit me up on twitter at talk soccer are you the type of fan that worries about those kind of records and maybe you take a good shot at it not at the expense of other things necessarily but does that concern you at talk soccer don't forget, we have that game coming up on Saturday against New England Revolution in Foxborough, right here on the home of LAFC. So it's going to be interesting. That is Black and Gold Breakdown. We still have a lot to talk about in terms of MLS. I'm really going to take a deeper look here at some of the second halves of what are these teams, assessing essentially the chances of the teams. We love to do it preseason. There's nothing wrong with that. Everybody loves a good season preview. Preview? What am I? Previews are great. They're fun. But let's do one now when we've seen these teams. What do they need? What are the possibilities? Who's going to be maybe a team that's on the outside looking in right now that can really do some damage? Is there a team like that in the East or the West? All of that and so much more still to come. We've got the LA Care Injury Report and stoppage time. Don't forget, if you miss anything of the show, you can podcast it. Much like my mother-in-law, who is my biggest fan, She never misses a podcast, and I deeply appreciate that. I always can tell, she look, my mother-in-law's great, right? Best fan, my biggest fan, listening to the show. But I can always tell if a show wasn't that great. (laughs) And no, she doesn't say that. She's too polite for that. But I can tell based on her reaction when she loves the show. And she loved last week's show. If you missed it, with Stephen Bateshore, Jordan Harvey taking over for the Blackout LA week leading up to that game against Atlanta. Loved it. So I can tell when she maybe likes it. You know what I mean? It's, it's more about the reaction of like, uh-huh. I see. That one wasn't that great. She would never say that, of course. She's my biggest fan. She's great. She's too nice. But sometimes, I admit it, rarely, but every now and then, these are all not 100 out of 100. She's too nice to say it, but you don't have to be. If you listen to the podcast, go to iTunes or ESPN Pod Center, search for Soccer Weekly, subscribe to it, most importantly, then you can rate and review it. You can tell me if my mother-in-law's correct. Or you can tell me if, I, if she's not. That's fine, I get it. I can take it. Let's go. We're rolling on here in the home of world football in Southern California. We're the home of LAFC, ESPN LA 710. It is Soccer Weekly. I am Dave Denholm, and you are listening to the home of world football in Southern California. Hit me up on Twitter, at TalkSoccer. Follow me there. You know, we do a lot of good stuff here on this show, not the least of which is talking a lot about MLS. And now that the All-Star Game is in the rear view, again, I didn't see a word of it. Or a word of it. I didn't see a minute of it. So I'm not going to talk about that yet. I'm going to, I'm, I DVR'd it. I might take a peek. No disrespect to MLS. I don't really love any sports all-star games anymore. They're kind of just, I'm past them a little bit. But I have no problem with people that love them. Uh, an interesting little tidbit on that, by the way. I was listening to the Corner of the Galaxy podcast. If you know this show and you've been listening for a long time, you know Josh Gessman, right? He's a, a good friend of me, uh, mine, and a good friend of soccer here in Southern California. He does the Corner of the Galaxy podcast, covering the LA Galaxy, really like nobody else does. 
And Josh has been a frequent guest on this show talking about the uh, Galaxy. And he was talking with Kevin Baxter, who's also a co-host there on that show. He's from the LA Times, great writer, covers mostly soccer. We love him here. And Kevin had an interesting point. When you talk about the All-Star game and all the festivities around them for MLS, and they were kind of getting into it a little bit, what does it really mean, blah, blah, blah. And that's where I kept, you know, in my you know car listening to this podcast, I'm shaking my head like, yeah, I just don't care that much anymore. No disrespect to anybody else. If they like it, it's fine. But Kevin kind of brought up a good point about it. Back in the day, years ago, now it's been a few years already, MLS would set where MLS Cup was to be played. So if you're new to the league, right, you, MLS Cup playoffs, the final, where would the big MLS Cup game be? They would, much like the NFL, years in advance pick the site, whether it was... I don't know, Dignity Health Sports Park, then known by other names down in Carson or wherever, Sporting Kansas City, you know, whoever was going to host it, it was going to be year, a couple years in advance in all likelihood, or maybe, you know, maybe not quite as long as the Super Bowl in advance, but that way the league plans out all the parties for MLS Cup the week before, sometimes even at a couple weeks off before the game, you build up the ticket sales, and you, you know, even though it's a neutral site, you allow, you allow for fans for time to kind of prepare get to the game, that kind of thing. Well, recently, of course, MLS has gone to the top seed left, host the game. I love that. That is fantastic. I didn't hate the neutral site. I actually saw Columbus Crew win a cup down in Carson, like many of you probably did, but it really didn't mean that much because they weren't playing, you know, a local team. They weren't playing the Galaxy at the time. This is years ago already, but, you know, it wasn't like fans that many could get there from Columbus, you know, so it... There were those kind of things. There were, I love MLS Cup. The finals are always great. Don't get me wrong. But sometimes, you know, on a neutral site, it's tougher for any sport, except for maybe the Super Bowl. And so the MLS made the decision. The decision was made to go back to the top seed, whatever whoever's left is the best record. They're going to host. That's awesome. Love that. Well, Kevin points out, rightly so, that what that does is you have less time to prepare. You can't necessarily bring in all the big corporate sponsors for the parties all week necessarily because you don't know where it's going to be. So that's what the all-star game has become for Major League Soccer. Not unlike other sports where they kind of tie it in with a lot of corporate stuff where they can bring in the big sponsors, show them a good time, meetings, you know, announcements, all that, right, to be made. And that's cool. That makes sense to me. And it kind of just, the light bulb went off when he was talking like that over on the Corner of the Galaxy podcast. And it's a good reminder. That's what the All-Star Game weekend is here for, really. And that's fine. I got no problem with that. But just an interesting little reminder there. As we look at MLS teams going into the second half of the season. And I'll start in the East. Philadelphia Union, as I mentioned earlier, on top in 39. Kind of struggling of late. Atlanta United still finding their way with Frank DeBoer. I don't think they, he knows what he wants to do here. I mean, he does. That's the problem. He's, he's too rigid. He hasn't worked well with P.T. Martinez, the massive signing that was essentially to replace Miguel Almiron, even if both players are not quite the same type. D.C. United's been floundering. I don't. I'm, they're okay. They're not even great at home. At a relatively, you know, they should have a good home field advantage. They just opened Audi Field last year. NYCFC looks so tough to beat. They still only have three losses, but they're also tough getting wins because they got eight draws. 
a good team, but not, you know, eh. They only have played 20 games, though. they got a lot of games in hand. And that might be the difference. NYCFC, I don't know how you feel, Mario. Mario Reyes, the producer of the show. Yeah. I kind of believe NYCFC, Mario, is the toughest team to beat in the East. I don't know if they're the best team. I disagree. I kind of think Atlanta. I mean, yeah. we just saw them last week, and that was a tough, tough battle. And they're not even playing that well yet. I, I, I don't disagree that Atlanta could be really a threat by the end of the year. You're right about that. Yeah, they're not all on this quite same page yet, but they got a lot of dangerous, dangerous guys there on that squad. But you know, NYCFC, despite only playing 20 games, their goal difference is plus 12. Mm-hmm. They, they don't lose at home on that garbage Yankee Stadium field, where it's you know the the dimensions and everything get thrown off. I mean, we saw LAFC have to struggle to get a 2-2 draw. They didn't play badly by any means there, but they, yeah. you know, it was a come-from-behind draw earlier in the year. And actually, my father, who's uh, really diving into soccer lately, had didn't grow up with it, never really liked it, or particularly cared for it up until a couple of years ago. But he knows you sports, know. right? Yes, uh, diehard sport. I mean, nobody knows more about sports than my old man, although he wouldn't tell you that, but I will. And he said that he thought NYCFC was the toughest team that LAFC has played so far, uh, you know. And I find that interesting because, again, he doesn't quite, you know, he's not quite up to speed yeah. on the, all the nuances of soccer yet, but he's catching up very fast, and he was really impressed. Yeah, your dad's a smart man. I mean, there's just something missing with NYCFC. I mean, yeah. all those draws, you know, it's kind of like what happened last year with LAFC when they were getting all these draws yeah, and couldn't good, really turn them into wins. That is a great comparison, actually, now that you mention it. 5-1-4 and four at home. Remember... LAFC only finished with nine wins at home last year. They were at, what, 9-1-7, which is seems like a great record because you only lost one game at home, but you drew, you dropped a lot of points. A lot of points. If you get three points out of each one of those draws there, man, that's oh, a lot of goodness. points stacking up right there. That's 14 points you've lost yeah. you know, just with the seven draws. And NYCFC already just 5-1-4. and four. So, yeah, it's a very good p- comparison. And, yeah, it's actually... I'm going to keep my eye on that for the rest of the year. Wow, Mario, that is great stuff. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. We'll hear we'll hear more from Mario at stoppage time still to come. So, but I still think they're dangerous, right? Another team that's dangerous is the team LAFC is playing on Saturday. I've already mentioned them with Bruce Arena, who all he does is know how to win in MLS, and he's turning New England around. They're unbeaten in their last eleven overall at seven zero and four, getting much better at home. Tough team. Still, you know, they're not scoring a lot, but Gustavo Bo is now there, and they're scoring a lot more lately. They struggled out of the gate under Brad Friedel and have done nothing but win, seemingly, under Bruce Arena. Certainly haven't lost in MLS. So I think they're certainly dangerous. Toronto just is such an enigma. I think they got so much talent. They had a lot of injuries. But here's the team that is most puzzling to me in the East. And if you've listened to the show at all, you probably heard me say this. What is going on with Chicago Fire on the pitch? We all know the stuff with Bridgeview and moving and going to Soldier Field and hopes of you know turning this around and all that. We get that. That's business. On the pitch, how is the Chicago Fire 5, 10, and 9? They haven't had a win on the road this season. They drew with LAFC, a nil-nil drab draw earlier in the year at Bank of California Stadium. They have immense talent in certain spots. I'm not saying they're the most talented team, but man, they are way better talent-wise than 24 points from 24 matches. Unless I'm just overrating every last one of their players. But I think that's the bigger issues there with the manager, Felko Ponovich. I just think that he's too ready to try to go for the one point 
especially on the road. And that usually leads in, to losses, and those start to mount up. And now they're just getting draws at home all the time. That's a mess. That is unacceptable, to be frank. That team is the most underperforming in all of MLS, not just in the East. In the West, now we, of course, continue to assume LAFC are going to keep climbing up the charts, and why not? They're playing fantastic. The teams directly below them, Seattle, Galaxy, San Jose, they're in the 2-3-4 spots. Minnesota, FC Dallas at 6 currently, and then Portland Timbers with a couple of games at hand on FC Dallas and a game on hand on everybody else, and a lot of home games still to come. The Timbers are climbing the charts, as you would ex- have expected. Obviously, Portland is a dangerous side. Make no mistake about that. We saw that in the Open Cup. San Jose Earthquakes are one of the hottest teams in MLS. They're playing so uh, so great under as good a manager as have, has been brought in, from you know certainly from another country, to MLS, but one of the best managers we've seen in the league, regardless of where you're from. And I don't know how much Matias Almeida was familiar with MLS. Obviously, with Chivas, he played against them as a manager. You know, so he knows the league and everything. Clearly, this guy is a great manager. He's taken essentially the same squad for San Jose and has turned them into one of the most dangerous teams in the league. So don't tell me managers don't matter. They are a real threat. Sounders are always a threat-ish. Because they're hard to beat on that garbage turf at home, up at uh, CenturyLink. And I've said it time and again, the Sounders are a great organization, make no mistake. And they are a very good team. They could beat anybody on any given day. But you cannot consider yourself a top-class club playing on that garbage turf. You can't. It's not good enough. And even on that turf, I, I call it garbage turf. In general, I don't like turf. Their turf is not that horrific. You know, that's why when I say garbage turf, I just mean turf in general. Portland's turf, not that bad, but I hate it because it's not real grass. And that's where Seattle, it bothers me so much because they're so dominant at home because of that, I believe. They're way harder to beat because of that turf. And that annoys me. Other teams who might be a threat, you know... FC Dallas got way way too much talent to be doing what they're doing. That's another underachieving team for me. If you're looking at a team outside looking in, I don't think any of them are a threat. I thought Houston Dynamo might be, and they seem to have just loads of talent, which they do, but yet they're under 500. They're under you know, the zero on the goal difference or minus three. I mean, it's just it's not working. Something's not going right there for Houston Dynamo. They're not scoring as many many goals as you would think. They're not, they haven't been terrible offensively, but they've given up a lot of goals. It's just not. And Sporting Kansas City, a great organization, is just not having it this year. It's just not their year. I don't see that turnaround coming anytime soon. Now, mind you, they've been a mash unit a lot of the time, so that is a big factor. But if you're looking at the West, anybody going to challenge LAFC? And I mean, like in a matchup with LAFC as well. Not just a good team. Seattle's a good team. They don't really match up that well against LAFC. Galaxy are not very good. They certainly match up well against LAFC. You get the point. The teams, and I don't think San Jose matches up that great against LAFC. Portland and the Galaxy. Those, to me, are the two biggest threats to LAFC. Not just because of recent wins over them, but it's how they play them. That led to those wins. It's not. A, it's, it wasn't a, a surprise or it wasn't a fluke. 
So it, it's not wide open in MLS in these conferences, but man, is it going to be fun down the stretch. Hit me up. Maybe a team that you think can still make a lot of noise once the MLS Cup playoffs roll around, which begin in mid-October. Let me know on Twitter, at Talk Soccer. I am Dave Denholm. You are listening to the home of LAFC. We still got stoppage time to come. ESPN LA 710. Soccer Weekly, ESPN LA 710. Hit me up on Twitter, at Talk Soccer, if you want to follow the show there. LAFC taking on New England Revolution. You'll hear it on ESPN LA with the home of the black and gold coming up on Saturday. It is time now for our LA Care Injury Report. At LA Care, our mission has always been to provide quality, affordable health care coverage to all Angelinos. For more information, visit lacare.org. LA Care for all of LA. And as we look at New England Revolution coming into this match, uh, pretty healthy. Michael Mancian has a foot injury. He's listed as questionable, but that is about it for Bruce Arena side. And again, they haven't lost in their last 11 in MLS. Of course, for LAFC, longer-term injuries to Mohamed El-Munir with the uh, fracture of the face, getting the surgery. Javi Perez had the torn ACL earlier. Tristan Blackman is out with the quad strain, and you still got Danilo Silva with the left hamstring strain, although he had looked pretty good in practice leading even up to the Atlanta United game. So that's where we stand on the LA Care injury report. It is time now for Stoppage Time. What time is it? It's Stoppage Time! Yeah! Stoppage Time! It's Stoppage Time! Right now! Full disclosure there, I tried to make it sound really cool, and I paused and said, Stoppage Time. It's because I forgot the name of the segment for a split second there. Mario Reyes, the great producer of this show and LAFC football, he is the host of Stoppage Time. I'll try not to forget the name again, Mario. I am getting old. It sounded cool to me, Dave. It's all good. Don't even trip. All right, Dave, looks like the MLS players are preparing for a possible strike coming up next season. Yeah, the Players Association got together uh, in Orlando where the All-Star game is being held, and uh, it looks like they're getting prepared for a possible strike. Oh, man, that gets me, uh, that gets my stomach doing twirls, Mario. You like that work stoppage uh, next season? No. Nah, me neither. For one thing, let's be selfish here. That means we're work stopped, Mario, because we work the LAFC games. But more importantly, look, I understand. I got no problem with the players trying to go after whatever they can get, right? Nobody in MLS is underpaid, though. The market bears what the market will bear because soccer is everywhere. If you're not getting paid enough in MLS, you can go to a a myriad of countries to play. Now, that doesn't mean that they shouldn't get better deals here either, though. MLS Players Association wants the best for their players, and rightfully so. If the money is there, legitimately, they should get their fair share, no doubt. Some of the things I think that could help, Mario, are some of the, not small things financially, but things that aren't necessarily just the paycheck. Like, as we've heard so many times, chartered flights, right? Stuff like that. Where And Brad Guzan, during a press conference they had, had a very interesting point. It's like, you don't want to spend most of a day traveling to to go play for a game. You know what I mean? Already the country we live in is big enough that it's somewhat of a disadvantage in terms of other countries travel a lot, you know, shorter distances, per se, for their major, you know, the top leagues necessary. MLS, that's just a fact. We are a big geographical country. So you got to make it as easy as possible. And I do believe that can be a big issue, which is the air travel. Because, as we've seen from other sports, ain't nothing like uh, jumping right onto your own charter jet, Mario. That is a (sighs) big factor, you know. Yeah. So, and the CBA is set to expire on January 31st of next year, which is kind of scary 
because that's very close to the season. You know, like not a lot of wiggle room here to get this done. So I hope they hit the ground running, and I hope that the, they're really ready to go with good faith negotiations on both sides, Mario. We need this to be resolved very quickly and just get it done for yes, the good of the do. league. You know, yes. because let's be honest, this is not the NBA. This is not the NFL. I don't know that MLS can survive a strike. You know, I'm not talking about the league folding up necessarily, but it would be a massive blow for any kind of work stoppage, Mario. Yeah, who do we got to talk to? Who's who's our representative <laughs> for LAFC? I think we just did. I think we, the, the, all they have to do is listen to Soccer Weekly, which you can too. If you miss any part of the show, go to iTunes, go to the ESPN Pod Center, download it, become a subscriber, please, and then you can rate and review the podcast. Thanks so much, Mario. Thank you, Dave. The great Mario Rees. Thanks to everybody for listening. I am Dave Dunholm. This is Soccer Weekly on the home of world football here in Southern California. It's ESPN LA 710.